Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award-winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll. And I remember like taking, we'd take like car journeys when I was little and my parents used to have the, you know, the speakers on the back shelf of the car. And I used to sit, I used to sit facing the back window in, and just like bopping my head in between the speakers, singing along to whatever was on the radio, really randomly making the words up. Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. And this is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we, we drew, drew the map. Rachel Goswell, um, known by many as a vocalist of Slow Dive, um, but more recently, yeah. if I get my notes correct, the Soft Cavalry. Well, welcome. It's lovely to see you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Tell it. We, we, we're talking Devon, or we're talking Southwest England, because that's where you're located. Yeah. Yeah. So Devon, what a wonderful place for people who don't know Devon. Um, Beautiful. Yeah, I moved there for the first year. I had a guy deliver um, heating oil right in a little tiny truck because I lived at the bottom of this tiny little lane that you couldn't really get down with anything wider than about ten foot car. And um, for the first year, me and him didn't understand each other at all. You know, it was like he was speaking a completely different language, you know, because he was just... West country accent. Yeah, he's just saying, how are you, my flower? I go, what? Who? And we just nod at each other and smile. How are you, my flower? Yes. (laughs) I've not not heard that one. The one that gets me is when they say, uh, where you to? Where you to? Oh, where are you going? No, that means sort of what's happening. Where are you two? Where are you two? Oh, right. Like, what's up? Yeah. Lang- language has obviously evolved in, in the 30 years since I lived there. So, because I never heard that. I, I, I did hear once, I, I did hear once that the, the southwest country accents of um, England are, were the accents that survived the longest on the east coast of America. Yeah, it's absolutely true because, you know, um, right. where where I lived being as it was you know on the edge of the, the, the Dartmoor National Park I get a lot of tourists and a lot of American tourists who'd come to Plymouth to find out you know where the, the ship left they had no trouble understanding everybody from around that area no trouble at all because it's like something mm-hmm. is underneath it that's like something that's kept you know 
in the American accent. Well, what it was, because the, the, those English uh, dialects were uh, kind of isolated. There was nobody else there. So right. they survived, whereas back in England, they were constantly evolving oh. and changing as you, as you do. So it was like preserved in East Coast aspic. Right, wow. right. Yeah, no, it's true. I've been here for 10 years, and the majority of people I have met have been either from London, like me, or Birmingham. Birmingham. There's so many Brummies down there. Right. Everywhere I go, there's people yeah. from Birmingham. And my hu- my husband is from the black country, so... Yeah, right, Chuck. You know, it's like literally, it doesn't matter how small the village is and how small the pub is, there will always be somebody from Birmingham or the wow. black country there wow. that he will just end up chatting to. Well, so the other thing I've been noticing is um, all all your beautiful glassware that you make, and that's that's a great interest to me because my my wife makes a lot of uh, jewellery. I'm wearing a lot of it right now, Ooh, and nice. so she but so but she does she uses a kiln, you know, to like okay. to to you know melt things and terrify me because you know it's like ridiculous temperature. Uh, but the last kiln she bought Ooh. off was uh, bought off a friend who made glass things as well so I, I understand how it works and it's it's kind of terrifying but very very beautiful to to watch I think and look so yeah how, how did that start um my mother-in-law actually did fuse glass for 15 odd years and um we got married four years ago uh and she decided to retire from the glass. She gave me a two-day basic crash course in fusing and then gifted me all of her equipment as a wedding present. Wow. And um, I basically fell in love with it. it in a way that I suppose the only other love I have like that is singing, something that, you know, really creative and... Um, yeah, it just can be all-consuming. So I love it, and I've been doing it for about four years, done loads of different courses, I know loads of different techniques. Right. Um, and, I, yeah, that's kind of what I do when I'm at home and I'm not out gigging or recording or whatever. Yeah. No, it's, be- it's beautiful. And, I, and you actually you um, went on to the question that I was going to ask you because, uh, you know, like... Me and Budge have been doing this whole thing, you know, for about oh, 40, 40 odd years or whatever, you know, the music business. And uh, oh, music! I don't know what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not glass making. We haven't been making glass for forty oh, okay. years. Yeah, you know, it's like what? What was it actually that uh, Charlie Watts said? You know, when he was in the Stones for like twenty five years, he said, "I spent twenty five years in this band. You know, five years doing things and twenty years hanging about." Right. Yeah. which is is kind of true so we we've discovered writing and and doing this stuff as well you know so we we do music together and we're doing yep. some stuff together but we also do <laughs> you know writing and uh, to me i found it like the most creative thing i'd ever done since doing music you know it was like it fulfilled me so is it the same for you that with your with because your glass pieces are beautiful I mean they're absolutely stunning to me you know because I I know I kind of know what goes into them because you know the wife does a whole bunch of courses as well so I see all these things all the time and and uh, yeah uh, they're and 
they seem to be very evocative of either where you live or, you know, other subject matter. So where do you get your inspiration for it all? Yeah, um, depends what I'm doing, really. I mean, I've done a lot of optic dishes, which are, uh, as a few people have said, oh, they're really 70s. Uh, I just like really bright colours and just experimenting um, with different colours. And the last <clears throat> the last stuff I did before I moved was was uh, like miniature glass landscapes and they <clears throat> they were based on sort of where I lived Devon you know yeah those um, are those are amazing to me I mean you know that, you. They, that they were um, a lot of work <laughs> I, well I can imagine because I can't well I can't imagine I can't imagine how you make that thing out of glass and do it you know because it's like very difficult to make anything yeah. but um no, those those are beautiful. Can people see these things then? Where, where did you see the, these the, these uh, exhibits? These examples? Is there a, a website people can? Yes, um, there check is. Them out? There's an. In, uh, I have an Instagram page which is just uh, Rachel Goswell Glass. Simply. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's easy. We can remember that. <laughs> yeah. I can remember keep, that. It, keep it simple. Um, oh, okay. So that, and I have a, a website, but there's nothing for sale at the moment because. My all my studio stuff is still in a shipping container, awaiting my log cabin studio to be built. Well, <clears throat> we're five weeks into it. Uh, yeah, it's a long story, but nearly there. I was in Berlin a couple of weekends ago, actually. Whereabouts? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> she, she, okay. was, she was in Berlin. That's a trick. Playing Berlin. a festival. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's a trick question. When you live, live, live somewhere, you go like, "Were you in my? Were you on my high street?" I now? was in a venue. Yeah. With slow dive headlining a festival. It was good. It was great. Um, if you're playing festivals, are you doing that on a regular basis, or are you on tour, or are you just like, yeah, now and again? No, we've um, <clears throat> we've only done like. We've done six gigs this year. That's been it. Um, we've spent the last three years trying to <laughs> finish, record and finish our next album. So it sounds that's... familiar to me and Budgie, doesn't it? That one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we we had a studio booked for um, six weeks in April in 2020. Obviously, that had to be cancelled. Right. Um, I think we managed to get in the studio eventually in October for about six weeks. And we've kind of been like doing it in bits and bobs ever since. I mean, we we all live in different parts of the country. We've all got kids. Uh, you know, it's a logistical nightmare getting us together um, where everyone can, you know, get yeah. childcare from somewhere <laughs> else basically <laughs> at this point. Um so we, it's now it's now being mixed. So we don't really gig when we haven't got anything right. to promote, you know, and do. And um, uh, because I suppose everything is still so shaky post COVID for right. artists touring. You know, a lot of. Um, I mean, we've got our we've got some gigs booked a year in advance. Yeah. Um, so we're hoping to release uh, the album next autumn and we've already got stuff kind of 
on hold. In fact, we've had stuff on hold that, <laughs> for the last sort of year or so that keeps changing. We're like, we'll just hold that for a few months and then we'll give it up and then yeah. we'll try and get it back again. Um, and now we've got to stage where we've got it back again. So, yeah, so really, I mean, this year for me has been just a handful of gigs. We did a bit of recording, in, final bit of recording in February. Sometimes I record my vocals at home. What was it like, uh, Rachel? What was it like getting back out just for six shows? I mean... It's great. Yeah. I, I was um, very nervous to go back out into the world again. I mean, I'm quite a, away from doing gigs and stuff. I'm quite yeah. quite solitary anyway. I'm quite sociable, but... Yeah. And then you're back into festival land where there are hundreds of hundreds of yeah. people. And, oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, I felt really nervous and I'm, I actually hate flying which is quite quite a shame considering the amount of flying that you end up having to do um and i'm also asthmatic so okay you know really um, i had covid in march and i was ill for about four weeks actually but you know kind of worrying about all those things but i have to say once we the the gigs the first gigs we did back were in barcelona at a primavera festival which was amazing and once we'd actually got there, it, it's almost like COVID hadn't really happened, you know. It was yeah. just like yeah. normal life there. And yeah. and it, it was just so nice to see people again and, you know, feel it. I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, generally when I'm doing gigs, that's like my happy place and that's where I feel the most at home. Right. Yeah. Um, and the most normal, if that makes sense. It's just always... <laughs> yes. yes, it makes sense. It's always felt normal, to, the most normal to me. Everything else is, you know, a bit weird. But, you know, it was just good to be back. But I, because I'd had COVID in March, I just about, I think, kept my immunity to the end of May, beginning of June. Right. And then half our band came back with COVID and our manager. And, and most people I knew that went or played at Primavera came back with COVID managed to escape it but yeah i think you just have to accept if you're going to travel anywhere probably you're going to get it again it's it's funny because i was thinking about about touring we're thinking about touring like i said next year because we've got this idea with this yeah, with what we're doing now and stuff, and put the music in. Oh, that you mean that album that we, yeah, that we recorded two two years ago? Yeah, <laughs> two, two years ago. And we think it's mixed and it's ready to go, but oh, it's okay. been ready to go, yeah, and... but it's still not out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So we got that. Is it mastered no. yet? Have you mastered it? That's a good question. No, it not not hasn't been mastered not yet. yet. No. no, so it's not quite ready to go. Nearly though. But yeah. it's kind of like what we what 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 does one master for at the moment? Yeah, well, how long's mastering take anyway? A day, two days, maximum. A day. Yeah. yeah, but we used to make a party out of mastering because yeah. it was the last pro, like yeah. the last link in the, yeah. before you had to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. So we used to go down and go like, can't hear, can't hear that, can't hear that. Yeah. And go like, ah. You know. And then the master and engineers now are saying, yeah, it's really boring because everybody wants ev- every, they come down, they go, wants everything as loud as everything else. Right, right. So there's no, there's no <laughs> light and shade. You know, I, I'll, I'll give you a little, little thing that's just popped into my head from that. It used to be, I go to the mastering room, you know, a lot of time be myself and Robert and, and, that there's there's a name for it, you know, the little bit on the inside of the record that you write things on. I was know. just about to say that. <laughs> yeah, and, I know exactly what you're going to say. <laughs> like a little little message. Yeah, a little message, and and nine times out of ten they were like 
ridiculous things that I'd said in recording, you know. So we're just like, okay, let's put that one in. And nobody ever would figure out what they meant, you know, because we only barely remembered, you know. I'm going to go through my, actually, I've got all my vinyl stacked up here in boxes because it's not unpacked yet. Yeah. I'm going to go through all my old records and have a look. Yeah. Both your records to run out. My, my first recording with the Banshees, uh, Happy House, and scratched on the run out of that is Bye Bye Blackheads, Hello Budgie on the B side. Oh. I never saw that. Oh, I thought yeah. that was sweet. Yeah, it's very they nice. Never, never oh. that sweet to me again, I don't think. <laughs> oh. No, as, as it was Susie and I used to go down to a lot of the, the mastering sessions, right. either Strawberry or down at Olympic, whatever it was. And um, it would quite often be silly things like to do with the video we just shot and the names of the horses that were in it or something okay. like that. Not that we had a lot of videos with horses in. <laughs> but, but the one we did was, I think, uh, Wheels on Fire, and right. there was like a coach, right. and we were we were down yes, like in Shep- well. Shepperton, was... and trying to jump into a carriage and look really like Adam Adam and Ant, failing miserably. That's a great video that one. Oh, thank you. It's it's great it's fun memories. Yeah, yeah. Wow. We we. I was always the you know, the, 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 for the photo shoot or for the video, I was like get some clobber. Yeah, you always had great outfits. Yeah, lots of clobber. Um, Lots of baggy pants, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Severin liked baggy pants, didn't he? Like, really baggy pants. He He loved his baggy trousers, yeah. For me... Um, and I think it's true for, for Budgie as well. Like being on the road is something that we're really looking forward to because I'm like you, know, I like to travel, you know, hopefully to the next place and, and just that's my happy place. I loved, I love being on the tour bus, staring out the window at nothing in particular for the next day, you know, and always leaving town. I always like that, always leaving town. I'm always going, I'm going, I'm going, going, going. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's like it's a romantic version. We were talking to... Uh, we had we had um, Miles Miles Hunt on here the other week a few things back and he was telling oh, yeah. us he was going to be he decided he was going to give up the music business he was going to become a, a long distance truck driver because he thought it was romantic and I thought well, not 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 really but you know um, you know I, I kind of get the idea like being the travelling gypsy but you know the reality of it is probably, I, I yeah. get it totally yeah it's just yeah. the wrong end of the the wrong end of the gear stick really yes, isn't it yes, it, it really yes, is yeah. yeah you need to be yeah. you don't need to be driving the vehicle you need to be driven to somewhere you know and that would be good it, do you not find like when you're when you're touring it's also very tiring yeah or is that just me <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just. I me. don't think I, I. I remember like never feeling tired because I just like just didn't feel anything <laughs> quite a yeah. lot of the time. Right. I don't know whether that doesn't sound like a good thing. No, well, uh, it probably wasn't. It's just that I never stopped to like really think about whether it was a good thing or not. Um, I, I stopped for quite a while yeah. because it just kind of touring and everything just can almost like kill me in a way um but i recently i got back uh on the road working with john grant oh yeah um and so he's a lovely small outfit 
it was traveling around um strangely different i suppose it's because yes i was more aware of everything uh, i wasn't trying to um if you like block out the world i was trying to embrace it so i was taking advantage of every place we stopped right yeah. um it was kind of a bus tour around britain for instance you know so i got to know gateshead you know i'd go right. i'd make well, sure i knew okay. the parts of <laughs> well you just do you know if you wake up outside the uh you know the sage in gateshead you go wow who put this here and then you, you walk across the bridge and it's the millennium bridge or something down into newcastle mm. and and all the years, the number of times I played Newcastle, either the City Hall or wherever it might have been, I never even like walked around the place, you know. No. Yeah. Well, that's very so true. So I did a lot, yeah. lot, lot of walking. Yeah, it's very true because... So that's what I put my tiredness down to yeah. at that point. <laughs> okay, yes. No, it's it's true. And also, you know, I have a similar story to Budgie and it was, it was like, you know, I remember going to South America back with the and I was in Brazil, I don't know, for like half a month and I'm not sure I saw anything except the inside uh, of my hotel room. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. And, and it was for the wrong reasons as well. I didn't see anything. And now, you know, um, just before COVID, I was on tour with my book and I did it kind of like we did touring in the early days with the band. I would just like go to like independent bookstores and just talk mm. and talk to the people and then, you know, do something else the next day. I mean, I I can definitely <clears throat> relate to quite to quite a lot of what you're saying. I think back in the '90s when Slow Dive was first time round. I mean, most of the '90s are stoned through most of it, to be fair, and don't remember you know a huge amount. Um, <clears throat> and you know, after Slow Dive ended in 1994, I was 25 then. Uh, and then Neil and I went on for 10 years to do another band, Mojave 3, and five albums with that band. And then I stopped completely for four years when I had my son. Yeah. Um, but coming back into Slow Dive this time around, it's, I mean, it's, it's just so far apart from my first experience. And the band is so much more popular. And I think we only played like Slough Festival in the 90s that was it you know now obviously we've kind of been around the world with it and it's very different for us and I appreciate all of it so much right and to be doing it at this age as well I never thought you know at the age of 44 I'd be going back into it and and the last eight years have been pretty mental um but when I when I tour when we're on sleeper buses to keep in America, I think because I feel more comfortable touring yeah. around America in a lot of ways. Um, when I get up and get off the bus, I tend to go to, I tend to be quite cultural, go to art galleries and museums. Oh, you're like Budgie. Like I love it. Budgie does that. Yeah, he goes to all the art galleries. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. I love it. It's a privilege to be able to, be able to go to all these places and have the opportunity to how else would you do it? Oh, I remember doing like a tour of America around the time of Peep Show, I think it was. And I just like quit drinking. I'd, I'd quit partying. But I was the only one who decided <laughs> to do that. So yeah. it was pretty a pretty lonely tour. Right. Um, right. I, I, I love the gigs. It was a great show that we put together. It was the most show-like of a show. Um, 
But I do remember like getting down into Washington DC and getting to the art gallery down there, you know, and getting on the metro system. And then trying to tell everybody about it afterwards, and they go like, "Ah, shut up!" <laughs> like, well, that's all right. When when you and I go on tour, we go to all the all the galleries you want to, and yeah, uh, sounds like, sounds like it's we'll be have great. we'll have time for everything. I know yeah. we'll make time. Yeah, I quite fancy doing like you know a tour of residences. You know, so yes. we do two or three days in a place. Yes, actually stay in the town for a while and get to know it a bit. Yeah, I know it's a great way to you know. So like, I think because you can't have a crew. No, no, <laughs> no, because no, they they just be destroyed. <laughs> yeah, because they cost money. Yes. You need to pay them. You know, yes. and if they had days off in a city, they'd all go mental as well. <laughs> We know how Lol and me started. We 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 just sort of like found mates in our hometown and uh, thought, what's the quickest way out? Yeah, right. <laughs> how can we leave? How do we? What 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 brought you to the stage, Rachel? What you 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 love singing, and that we can tell. Yeah. Well, um, my dad. Um, I started playing. My dad taught me sort of guitar when I was seven started learning my dad was um he's like an an electrical engineer in his work life but he loved folk music actually and and jazz music it's gonna sound funny because he met my he used to play banjo in in a jazz band when he was like 21 and um he played at a uh like a friend's 21st birthday in the, in a house, that's where my mum was living. <clears throat> they met, fell in love six months later, got married, all that. But I mean, I'm digressing back to my parents. But anyway, parents both really into music, so our house was just full of music. And he had a banjo. Yep, still got the banjo. Yeah, that was that was my first drum. We had an old banjo, no, no, no strings. Don't know who played it. Don't know where it came from. But that was going like this, like this sound. Uh, yeah, so he kind of taught me a bit of folk guitar. Then I went on to classical guitar. Did that until I was about 13. Um, I hadn't. And, like, from from a really, really young age, all I wanted to do was sing, actually. That's, like, my overriding memory. I wanted to sing. And I remember, like, taking we'd take like car journeys when I was little and my parents used to have the you know the speakers on the back shelf of the car and I used to sit I used to sit facing the back window in, and just like bopping my head in between the speakers singing along to whatever was on the radio really randomly making words up <laughs> and uh, it was just there all the time so I grew up in a village just outside Reading called Sonning Common um and Neil, the singer, songwriter in Slow Dive, went was in my year at school, and I was basically my got my brother's like two and a half years older than me. So by the age of thirteen, fourteen, I was like a goth. Right. Like pornography was coming through the bedroom window. Susie and the Banshees. That was my introduction, right. and that that's what totally kind of flipped me into alternative music and um 
I think she's just blamed us, Mr. B. Uh, yes, I know. I know. Yeah. It's a real fault. I mean, God, yeah. I'm, I'm very pleased about that yeah, as me well. Too. That's lovely. Me too. I don't mind being blamed. <laughs> no, but um, so we had one like lesson together, which was both. Bi- which was biology, which I ended up dropping out of because I hated it. But I, I had like Susie and the Banshees and The Cure and the Smiths written on my school books. Okay. Uh, and he saw this and he was like, it's like the nearest he's got to a kindred spirit in the entire school because I was basically the only goth in the village. It was literally like that. Wow. I didn't have a good time at school. It was <laughs> terrible. I got bullied and everything. I was always, you know, the, the on the periphery. And... Um, I we used to have a like a youth club at, at secondary school where they and they had like um, a PA a PA there and right. some amps and stuff and me and a girlfriend called Alison was when we were fifteen were like by this point I was sort of playing keyboards a little bit so I kind of ditched the classical guitars like I bored of that went on to piano bored of that but then went on to keyboards um, decided we were going to start a band so off we trotted on a Sunday to our youth club. Me with my little key my little Yamaha keyboard under my arm. And um, Neil was there and he was actually the youth leader's prefect. Ooh. And um, mm, I know. <laughs> and he was he he set up the PA for us. He set up the PA for us and amps we plugged in, didn't really know what we were doing. That's kind of all I remember about that, that he was just there and he set everything up. The next Sunday, I like, you know, knocked on my friend's door, let's go and let's go and do our rehearsal again. And she was like, oh, I don't want to be in a band anymore. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I just went on my own. Neil was there again, had set everything up, and we just started playing together. And that was literally it. We were 15 and we kind of gravitated towards the other people in our school that played music. Right. Um, and our original drummer, Adrian, he left to go to university, actually. He, Alan McGee met him. Adrian was in the band when we were offered a deal, and Adrian was like, no, I want to go to uni. So he left. So we've had four drummers in total. Blimey. Yeah, and then the name, obviously Slow Dive, because you might be wondering about this one. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was wondering a little bit. Yeah, yeah but it, it's kind of... It wasn't my choice to name the band Slow Dive. Okay, right. It, it was actually our bass player that came up with the name. We we had the choice of two names. It was either Slow Burn or Slow Dive. And I, at the time, I was like, you can't call it Slow Dive. It's a Susie and Abachi song. You can't do that. That's just wrong. And I got outvoted. Wow. And so the name stayed. Mm. So it's funny because I was, you know, the big Bunchies fan. And we were, we'd have no idea. No, and it gets referenced all the time still. Oh, lovely. It's 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 so nice to have it sort of turn back at you because I remember doing the video for Slow Dive, which the song, and, and it was like when, you know, you still had a camera in the back of a, a van and it was done in a warehouse in the east end of London. And we wanted to, like these lighting gantries and I remember the guys being up there for half the day because it was they couldn't get up and down and yeah and we all we wore makeup and um just diamante earrings and it was really camp and we'd done a dance routine it was like it's a great a video long, actually. yeah it, it, it was it worked it worked on, on a kind of shoestring budget but the song was 
a strange song that, that it was just like a drum beat and a riff severing on like a six string bass that I think he got from Robert probably yeah because Robert was in the like would come down to the studio in Camden right. and sit in on those sessions and there's a drum fill in slow dive right. where I kind of go and there's like a whole gap where the bass drum doesn't hit and I remember him saying that's my favourite fill <laughs> and it's always stuck with me <laughs> and uh, so there's loads of little like tons of little anecdotes around not just like Kiss and Dreamhouse but around that particular song and I remember the artwork for it and it's like really kind of risque in a way it's sort of going like slow dive was like Olympic divers coming down into a pool but there was also a caricature almost of Susie yeah that, but sort of looking way more naked than she she would be it was just there was lots of undercurrent of sexuality coming out in, in the lyrics and around that time as well and the artwork it's a strange thing Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer, Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wilde. Digital marketing, Margie Taylor. Art and logo design, Justin Thomas Kay. Music production, Jackknife Lee. Curious Creatures is on the web and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2022.